Hello and welcome to Switch, where we like to celebrate the great game of cricket in its many forms, which most definitely includes two of the leading players of their generation swapping roles in the fading light to play out the conclusion of a drawn test match, which went right down to the very last ball on a day of drama in Sydney. Whisper it quietly, but England didn't lose. For some, ending Australia's chances of completing yet another 5-0 whitewash was as good as a victory itself. We'll settle for the wisdom of hot chocolate and say that everyone's a winner. And that includes my two guests today. Andrew Miller, ESPN Quick Info's UK editor, is an avid cataloguer of English miserabilia, but frankly has had rather too much to deal with recently. And associate editor, Alex Malcolm, the Western Australia Premier Cricket Run Machine, who taught Cam Green everything he knows. How do, fellas, good to have you on. New year, new you, Miller, or just happy for it not to be the same old England? I mean, you know, I, I know, I know, I've got a reputation for miserabilia, but was it really that great? I mean, look, I, I, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm, I, you know, looking, look at Twitter, going, getting all massively overexcited and rubbing their hands in their trousers. They are the most amazing proof that Test cricket is wonderful. It was a, it was a former leg spinner bowling a massive great pie in the massive great anticlimactic finish to a, a Test match that, had it not lost seven overs to rain, England would probably have lost by more than 100 runs again. I mean, is that really is that really the, the most celebratory moment in recent Test cricket? If it is, the format's doomed, frankly. Um, no, it was fun. It was compelling. No, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed the drama, and it was it was a vast improvement on on everything else we witnessed this winter from a competitive point of view. In insofar as at least England competing not to lose, but we were a million miles away from England competing to win. Uh, we're a million miles away from England having a any sort of a game plan going forward other than you know just rely on Anderson Broad yet again and you know you know rely on Johnny Bairstow we'll talk about him later brilliant innings but you know he, every every chance if it wasn't for a squash thumb they'd throw in the gloves again I mean there's there's absolutely no consistency going on here at all and I know it's been a long winter there's a lot of a lot of issues a lot of a lot of mitigation etc but you know I'm, I'm I'm not that blown away by by a draw to be perfectly honest <laughs> the Christmas hangover has uh, lasted uh, into uh, into January uh, in the Miller household. Um, yes, Alex Stephen Smith bowling uh, a, a long hop to James Anderson for the final ball of the uh, the day, and the, uh, as we said, um, a, a dramatic one at the SCG. Not exactly what we were expecting. No, not exactly what we were expecting. You know, I do I do agree with Miller in, in part that uh, Australia thoroughly dominated the game and had. Rain not intervened uh, at least for um, three or four hours across the five days. Australia would have won pretty easily. They were a bit sloppy too in the field, dropping catches in both innings. Um, they dropped Stokes twice, once in each innings, which was pretty significant in the game. So, but a good effort by England. I was very impressed by the way um, Johnny Bairstow played. I thought it was an outstanding performance from him. I thought his first innings in particular under enormous pressure at four for 36 when Australia bowled 70 consecutive dot balls, for him to come out and play the way that he did, not only have the intent, but be able to put pressure back on the Australian bowlers. And he didn't really look troubled at any stage. It was a really fabulous innings. And he, he just reminded certainly us here in Australia that his best is truly world-class. Uh, it just seems like a guy looking from afar to be someone who needs a bit of bespoke management, for want of a better term. Like he's just a unique character who needs, I don't know, an arm around his shoulder to say you're a valued member, but also 
needs the chip on the shoulder to have something to prove every time he goes out to play. And he reminds me a lot of David Warner. And those two guys obviously uh, spent a lot of time together and got on famously at Sunrise and Hyderabad. So I was very impressed by the way that he played. But um, Australia dominated the game and, and probably should be 4-0 up. They'll be a little bit frustrated that they're not. I think he reminded quite a few in England as well about uh, how good he uh, is. Um, where does that um, rank, Alex, on your uh, on your list of tricky match reports? By the way, that final uh, that final hour or two. Uh, I'm only new to the Test match reports. Uh, it, it's up there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it could have gone either way. Obviously, it was either Steve Smith was going to be the hero or um, England salvaging something, which was. Uh, the line I went with uh, in the end. So it was a good effort. It was a, I, I thought it was an entertaining last hour. Don't um, make no mistake about that. It was, a, it was an entertaining game. Yeah, indeed. Um, I was going to say it could have gone either way, but I don't think England were ever winning it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> England, England made it out of the SCG just about intact, despite several players carrying injuries through the game. Uh, that leaves Australia 3-0 up with one to play. Usman Kawaja, of course, scored twin centuries in a, in a dazzling comeback after more than two years out of the Australia eleven. Um, Johnny Bairstow produced the first hundred of England's Ashes after Stuart Broad had taken the first five for. Um, <clears throat> England ended up being set a target of 388. Um, they, they weren't ever getting near that, I don't think, um, but made it through batting out more than 100 overs uh, for the draw. Miller, I mean, you said this wasn't kind of the, uh, the the great escape to maybe rank alongside Cardiff or, or um, Centurion or Cape Town of uh, a few years ago, but um, as as they have been thirty six for four on that third morning, um, they scrapped pretty hard in the end for their four World Test Championship points. Yes, they did. I mean, look, look. Don't get me wrong. It was it was an impressive performance within the context of a dismal series. And um, you know what I said at the end of the last pod about you know uh, harking back to the nineteen nineties and how England in those days you know had to rely on themselves to just get themselves out of a corner. There was a fair degree of that, to be to be honest, in in the way that England just fronted up in this. You know, saying you know what we got, we got no one, no one to fall back on except our own our own pride here. And you know, Bearstow his pride came pouring out obviously you know with with extra meaning in in his in his family circumstances given it's uh, obviously the anniversary of his father's death in in that first week of january so particularly emotional time for him uh, to 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 perform the way he did for that century and you know when he when he had that horrible blow to the thumb uh, you know the the way his his finger just twanged his thumb twanged back like like a guitar string. It was just you thought, oh my God, he's 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 done here. But he he guts it out in in a in a way that um epitomised everything that England needs to do at the moment. And again, it doesn't it doesn't gloss over the problems they've got. You cannot just rely. And I talk about this a lot on on the need for miracles. You know, need for guys to dig deeper than they've ever dug before to make England competitive. And you know, Bairstow dug as bad as deep as he's ever had to dig in test cricket for that century, which is magnificent. But, you know, already at 36 for four after a passage of play, what was it, 70 balls without a single run. I mean, you know, there were there were serious, serious, not even jokes at that point about this is going to be over today. You know, if, if a wicket had fallen straight after lunch there, uh, England would have been following on because, you know, why wouldn't they in the circumstances? There's, there's literally no no point when you've bowled about 10 overs. Um, it, it, it was that close to absolute rack and ruin and so close after the Melbourne debacle at 68 all out. Um, you know, touching rock bottom is 
a great great opportunity i guess to say well look, we, there's nowhere else for us to go the only way is up here let's just find the tenacity required but you know as a as a as a game plan i don't think touching rock bottom is necessarily a sustainable one put it that way so um uh, you know that, that that that's why i'm i'm curbing my enthusiasm about that about this performance <laughs> uh, well, it certainly did uh, owe some uh, assistance to the weather. Uh, seven overs lost on the final day, which um, uh, could have come in handy uh, at the end there. I'm sure Pat Cummins would have, wouldn't have minded um, that extra time to, to bowl at Stuart Broad and James Anson. But there were chunks of time on, lost on the first day as well and, and early in the game. I think we got 385 overs in the match, so uh, about four, uh, four and a bit days play. Um, the this, the Sydney weather forecasters didn't didn't come out of it too well, I think, given that given that we were told every day that it was going to be a deluge at some point, and and then it didn't quite materialise. Which Pat Cummins might point to as mitigation. Um, Alex, there were some questions around the timing of the declaration. Um, in the end, you'd say that hundred overs will probably ought to be enough uh, in, in the fourth innings to bowl a team out. And Australia did create the chances. It wasn't quite on the level of um, this time last year when India fairly comfortably or were, were a, 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 a fair distance more comfortable in seeing out the day at the SCG. Yeah, I tend to measure these things on the chances created and it, it had a little bit of a ring of 2019 Headingley actually. They created, I think, 13 chances the same as they did in Headingley and only took nine. And if you only take nine, it doesn't matter if you create 14, 15, 16, 17. If you only take nine, you're not going to win the game. So they'll be frustrated with that. I, I don't subscribe to the the theory that Pat Cummins messed the declaration up. The only area of that that was a little bit odd was that they probably should have just walked off when Usman Khawaja got his 100. Those extra couple of overs seemed like a waste of time and it was uh, a decision by a bowler, not understanding that perhaps a not out for his youngest bat who's been struggling a little bit for confidence this year might have might have done him a bit of service and also his wicketkeeper, who, who is a very, very unselfish player, has taken a blow albeit a minor one in a game where he had had troubles with the gloves. He's got a, a first ball duck added to his record, which he didn't really need. Um, but apart from that, I mean, it wouldn't have made a difference adding a couple of overs there. I actually think that the biggest moment in the match probably, and, and touching on what Miller pointed to, was uh, just after lunch in England's first innings, their four for 36, where Stokes was dropped, caught and bowled on nine. Um, if that catch was taken or if the bales fell off when Cam Green bowled him a couple of overs later, Australia probably won by an innings. Um, so it's th those types of things. But, you know, you can point back to Usman Khawaja getting dropped on 28 and all sorts of things. I think Australia will be frustrated. They were just a little bit untidy with their out cricket, which has been so sharp throughout the series. And if they'd been a little bit sharper in both innings with their catching, um, they probably would have won pretty easily despite their own. Um, and well, the fact they weren't uh, sharp uh, as sharp as they like to be, I suppose Miller meant we got the the drama of of Leach, Broad, and Anderson seeing out the last ten point four overs of the game, and Steve Smith, uh, as as mentioned, popping up with his first Test wicket since two thousand sixteen. Yeah, I mean Anderson was hilarious talking about this on the tail end of the podcast afterwards, and you know the way he was greeted at the crease with Broadie telling him to get his head over the ball. Said, "Mate, I've played a few." Few times before, he <laughs> need, need to talk me through this, and and then of course giving him giving dishing it out. You can see the grin on his face after after he drops rocks back to block that ball. He's already massive grin across his face, and he's, you can clearly see he's, he's he's telling Smith what on earth was that. 
Uh, and Smith admittedly said, yeah, you know, I, 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 the pressure got to me. And, you know, it's been a feature. I've noticed, uh, I think Dan Brennan was writing about it this morning, about, or maybe someone else, I can't remember, but, so, but just about the, uh, um, how cheerful this series has been compared to, you know, the, I'm going to break your bleeding arm uh, series of 2013 and, and the general snark and, and, and aggro that has uh, featured in, in Ash's combat down the years. Uh, there's been very little of that. Uh, you, you know, a lot of people put this down. As Alex mentioned the the the, the uh, Warner and uh, Warner and um, Bearstow alliance at, uh, at Sunrisers is perhaps an indication of of what happens when you put these players in franchises and they they see themselves as as humans uh, and 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 not just not just mortal enemies on a, on a, on a cricket pitch. Obviously, the Rajasthan connection with 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 Steve Smith and Stokes and Butler and Co. So there's 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 plenty of Ashes matchups uh, that have that have been turned on their head through through the, that sort of uh, that sort of franchise opportunity. So you know, it, it just it just seems a little bit more more pleasant, which is which is nice. And uh, you know, I'm I'm all for that. Um, but but yeah, it, it, that that drama, it, as as I think I've said several times already, is uh, it, I, I do feel like I'm repeating myself a lot at the moment. England just being rubbish, but but you know, the number of times you see Anderson walking out, uh, the last man standing to try and dredge England to. To, to safety and usually it's a futile cause as we saw at, at Lords you know with 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 Bumrah bouncing him to to oblivion and what have you usually he he doesn't stand a prayer in this day and age but every now and again you know he has his, he has his Cardiff 09 moment way back and now he's got another one to to tick off the list uh, a bit more Graham Onions about about this this stand uh, compared to that one um but you you know I I go back to what I said first I I I'm, I really enjoyed that final hour I really love the notion of the draw i think the draw is a ma- is a wonderful part of test cricket that ensures that sides that are getting absolutely beasted have something to fight for but in the grand scheme of things england have nothing to fight for here other than pride and they've got a little bit of that back but it's not going to not going to atone for the the the, the systemic cock-ups that have led them to this point nor for the playing cock-ups frankly that have that have also led to this point the three three nil down you know the the errors that have been made in selection the errors that have that have been made in the field um, all the other things that you know, the little one percenters, I suppose you call them, that uh, that in in days gone by might have allowed a, a side up against it, such as England, to to find you know a wall to back themselves up against and then push forward off. They've 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 not they've not found themselves in a in a, in any sort of position to push for any sort of foothold in the series. Um, so you know, I, it, it is nice not to be writing about another five 0 whitewash. I I was pretty convinced we were heading that way after Melbourne. Um, but I'm I'm not holding my breath for a massive massive turnaround in in Hobart. I I think it will it's more likely to be business as usual than than than, than any sort of consolation. Let's go to our regular Ashes segment then. Courtesy of Bet365, we have Ian Bell and Ryan Harris with us once again. The series may have already been decided, but I'm sure you'd agree, gents, that we saw a cracking finish at the SCG. There's only ever been one other Ashes uh, test drawn nine wickets down in the fourth innings. Ian, you might remember that one. Uh, yeah, not a decent one. Was that in Cardiff, was it? Good old Monty and Jimmy bit at the end. <laughs> oh, well, oh, that, was, that was a great escape of, of similar magnitude, yeah. But that was only the third innings. Uh, obviously, uh, oh, was it? Australia would have had to bat oh. again. Old Trafford, yeah. Old Trafford, two thousand and five. Oh, um, that's, uh, that's the one we talked about. Ponting <laughs> scoring an amazing hundred. Yeah, yeah. 
um, there was there was a quite different finish at the SCG for obvious reasons. Um, given that that you know the series was already up, um, wasn't the case in two thousand five, of course. But um, was it important for you that England finally showed some fight and got something out of that game? A hundred percent. I think. Um... Obviously, it was nice to get Sydney to give us a little bit of English weather as well, a bit of rain along the way to help us. But yeah, there's no doubt. Um, I think the whole performance, uh, even though, again, Australia, you would say, probably dominated the test match. But uh, I thought the partnership that started at that, the Bairstow and uh, you know, Stokes partnership was massively uh, important for, I, I think, the mood in the camp, but also the mood around this England team as well. It's not been, uh, as we've talked about before, when you lose an Ashes series and you you don't play well, it gets very emotional. There's a lot of emotional uh, emotion flying around. There's decisions. People are talking for, you know, people's jobs and changes and everything has to be looked at and county cricket has to change. And, and I think that that couple of hours of Bairstow and, and Stokes just calmed everything down a little bit, which is what we needed. And then I think people fed off that. I think we saw Leach bowl better as well in the second innings. Um, and then for a glimpse, we saw the potential of what Zach Crawley is all about as well. So. Look, there were some really nice things. Uh, I think it is nice to get a draw. I think we can't run away from Australia. We're still very dominant. And if they had declared earlier and a little bit more aggressive with that, they probably would have won the game. Um, but there were, there were glimpses there. And, and they are glimpses. We've got to be a little bit careful. Um, but great to see. And I'm, I'm really pleased for Bairstow as well. Uh, I think he's somebody that at times has been moved around a lot. You know, he, he had a great year when he was keeper batsman, lost the gloves. He's batted at three, he's batted at six, he's moved around, he's been in, out. So I think to see him at his best fighting like he did um, was, was incredible. And we know what Ben Stokes can do. Uh, it's a worry that he's obviously got a side strain, so that doesn't look great uh, in terms of obviously not going to be bowling in, in Hobart. Um, but again, I think that partnership, uh, again, you, you need that, but you, you really needed that partnership in Brisbane to really set the tone and let guys follow that. And that's what Stokes does. And, um, you know, he, he leads from the front but unfortunately in the fourth test match is a little bit late um but the, probably for me the real positive was Zach Crawley really on that last day um and those so sort of dramatic um nine wickets down finishes you've been involved in a few of those so can you, can you tell us what what the atmosphere in the dressing room is like after a, a finish like that yeah I mean it will feel like a win on that last day there's no doubt um again I think you have to have that little bit of reality check you know we, we were lucky enough we did it in Cape Town uh, when the series was still on the line, we did it in New Zealand with the series still on the line. So it's a little bit different situation. Um, and as a batter, you're just trying to, again, break things down, uh, you know, really just, like I said, get through small parts of the day, not look too far ahead. Um, you know, and again, uh, Australia threw everything at, um, at England. So credit to, you know, like Zach Crawley at the start of the day. And, um, and again, the, all, all the batters, and, and in particular, the bowlers as well. It'd be very easy for the bowlers to throw the towel in and not do it, but they all got stuck in. Um, and we probably said it going into this game as well. There's quite a few players, in a way, playing for their futures, um, um, you know, spots in the team. So, you know, I think they all did. They, they can walk away with that really, really proud, actually, of that effort. And I think you, you feel that way when you, you bat. Even if sometimes you've got to, you know, play away from the natural instinct of being aggressive and attacking. And you've got to take the ego away and, and try and find a way of, of getting to the end of that uh, day. And I'm, I'm just very pleased for them. And, to see the two old boys out there and uh, seeing them through, because again, hopefully they'll both play in the next game, but that could be the last time we see them both together in Australia, which again is a, is a, is a nice way if that is the last time we see them together in Australia. Um, but hopefully there's one more time.
Yeah, and as you, you mentioned, Cardiff, obviously, Jimmy, uh, seeing it through at the end with the bat. Um, Ryan, Australia obviously couldn't quite get over the line, but it was a, a cracking effort, particularly given the, the time lost in the game to weather. Um, and it was a particularly memorable test for uh, Usman Kawaja. Yeah, I mean, amazing for him who, you know, I, I had playing at the start of the series instead of Travis said, obviously, Travis Head came in and hurt that spot. Uh, and we'll probably get it back. Um, so it's going to be interesting what the selectors do uh, with Osman coming uh, into this next test. I'd be very surprised if they do drop him. Um, I think we may see him move to the top of the order. Um, you know, it's but but a great, um, I mean, great achievement to you know to have potentially have one opportunity going into the game. You know, not knowing what was going to happen and, and make two hundreds. Um, you know, there's probably not much better than that, I guess. Um, so. Uh, and not no surprise. I mean, everyone, you know, he's been in and out over a number of years now, was he? And, and probably thought that his opportunity was gone. Um, I, I know that, you know, firsthand that, um, you know, if, if when he gets opportunities like that, even when he's playing for Queensland, he gets an opportunity to, to score big runs, he takes them. He, he's, you know, he's, he's great like that. Um, so I, I, it's going to be fascinating to see what, what does happen, um, you know, going into Hobart. But Look, it was a great test. I mean, everyone keeps saying about test cricket dying. I don't know how they can say that when they see something like that happen. And um, look, you know, we did lose a lot of a bit of time in the game. Um, you know, Paddy Cummins has copped a bit of stick about the, the, the declaration. Um, you know, we all know, well, as players, you know, that it's not necessarily always the captain's job to, you know, to call a declaration. They had enough time. They had 100 and, what was it, 102 overs. Um you know, yes, they lost a bit of weather that day. Who knows? You know, that, that might have been it. It may not have been it. Um, I think we put down three or four catches. So that, for me, um, is probably the, you know, the, the determining factor. Um, we, we definitely had enough time to bowl England out. And, and as as Belly said, like, the, the way that um, the way that Crawley batted, I was, you know, I, I didn't think he was that good. To, I haven't seen a lot of him. But the way he came out and the shots he was playing, um, you know, hitting balls on the up against some pretty handy bowlers on a wicket that was... Um, you know, up and down. Um, you know that that was really encouraging, and um, you know, and, and the fight. I guess. It, well, we'll go back to Bearstow and Stokes to see that partnership. For me, again, to see Johnny Bearstow, I know Johnny a little bit, and the, the fight that he showed, and um, to do it with a, almost probably maybe a cracked thumb as well, or barely bruised thumb. Uh, he, we know he's a fighter, so it was great to see that. So, you know, positives, definitely some positives, and as Billy said, you know, sometimes a draw can be, it's, it's not a win, but it feels like it. It stops the, stops the bleeding and gives the confidence that, you know, we're, we're still in the fight. Yes, the series is done, but as we know, there's never, there's never a dead rubber when it comes to test cricket, and um, you know, I'm sure England would want to leave um, after the fifth test being three, losing 3-1 three and, and 4-0, um, or even 3-0 if it's a draw, who knows, but um, you know, it definitely, it was a it was a fighting English team that, that we saw. We knew we knew that was in there. Um, they just, as I said, probably been outplayed. But uh, it was good to see a bit of fight there as well, from even from an Aussie, I guess, saying that. <laughs> you can say that three 0 up. Um, and just a word <laughs> from your perspective on on Scott Boland, who uh, took another seven wickets and kept his Test average in single figures. Yeah, he probably thinks Test cricket's easy. What's all the hype about? Um, coming in and, and and doing what he's done. Look, again, it's just a, a guy who's 32 who, who traditionally, um, you know, we have a rule over here. If you haven't made a debut in playing for Australia, but it's the age of 26, 25, 26, 27, you're not going to play. Um, just shows you that the old blacks can still do it, as we see with Jimmy and even Brody. Um, but for him, 
for, for me, it's, he, he's a guy that, as we've seen, doesn't like any of the fanfare. He just wants to get in there, enjoy the the challenge, enjoy the um, you know what what Test cricket brings. Um, you know, he, he just wants to be he's a great team man, um, and, and he's a guy that's it, it's it's done his you know as I said, thirty two. He's he's done his apprenticeship in Shield cricket. He knows his game. Uh, he's just gotten better and better over time, and and um, you know, to be honest, he, he probably didn't expect, he didn't think he was going to get an opportunity in this with, with, with the bowling unit that we had. You know, we had obviously the three big boys and we've had an injury with, with Hazelwood. Um, Cummins obviously missed out as well through COVID, but, you know, they had Nessa and they had um, Joy Richardson who'd probably been around the squad more than, more than or Scotty, you know, I think was before this had probably been in one test squad. So it's, it's again, a bit like Uzi. It's fair to say, you know, you get an opportunity, you probably got to take it and he's done it. Um, you know, I think he's bowling average at the moment to about eight, uh, which is phenomenal. It's obviously after two games, but uh, he's probably one now. Um, you know, I think you'll I think you'll play in Hobart. Well, he has to because because Hazelwood's not playing. Um, I, I think he'll be he'll be a man that they'll really consider when they when they go to the subcontinent because he, he bowls a really good length um, for, for, for for subcontinent wickets. So I think he bashes the wicket, uh, and and the ball if it does reverse, he's so good with the old ball. So he's probably one that's. You know, through these opportunities he's he's got over these last couple of test matches, probably probably bowled himself into a into a tour of Pakistan. So, uh, again, it's great to see I guess someone get reward um, who's worked so hard. Again, probably didn't expect it. He's been given an opportunity, and, and you know, as as you always say, and you're always told, if you get an opportunity, you got to take it. And he's done it. Indeed. Well, um, there's one more opportunity in this test series um, in England, looking for a, a last hurrah in Hobart, and possibility of, of several changes once again, um, particularly with the injuries sustained uh, in Sydney. Sam Billings has been shipped over from, from the Big Bash. Um, wh what do you see them going with? Is it a little bit reminiscent of the, the sort of 13-14 um, tour when you had sort of Scott Borthwick and, and Boyd Rankin uh, thrown in at the deep end uh, for the final test? It does seem to have that resemblance. I, I, it's, it's quite funny as well, because I thought that Sydney side as well, the 11, was probably the best 11 they probably put out in this series. I think it looked the best balance, which is a shame when that's the fourth test match, really. Um, you know, Anderson and Gore playing together with Wood, I think for me, was the was the right option from the first game. Yeah, But you're right, this, this test match could be interesting. Um, I sort of feel a little bit for Ben Folks. It would be nice if he was in Australia, because I think he deserves, you know, with Butler's injury, to be the next guy in. Um, but as, as Ryan said there with Australia, if Billings gets an opportunity, wow, go and take it. You know, if he gets a couple of 50s or 100 and, and keeps tidily, I mean, he's had a very good big bash. Uh, he looks the real deal. He's very nice to watch on the eye. Um, he's tidy with the gloves, certainly in white ball cricket. Obviously, red ball a little bit different in terms of, you know, certainly after bat swing and, and obviously standing up to the to spin all day as well. But um, look, he's a, we know he's a quality player. Um, and he's just got to take this opportunity. And, and the same for... Um, anyone else who comes in with injuries, you know, it'd be interesting to see if we see um, Burns back at the top for Hamid, which you feel might might happen. So a big test match if that happens for Burns. Um, and then whether Lawrence or Pope get the nod uh, if, like I said, Bairstow or Stokes is really struggling for this test match. Um, and, and, and again, hopefully, uh, whatever the 11 is, we just see the same kind of fight that we saw in, in the SCG. Um, it would be nice again to see Crawley, if he can back that up as well. I think that's one of when you look at his numbers probably in the last, but we do see the odd good innings and then it's followed by uh, a few low scores. So I'd love to see him back up again, hopefully on a good pitch at Hobart. 
Um, again, it'll be interesting under the lights to see how that plays. Generally, the guys say it does do a little bit in shield cricket these days um, at Hobart, but I'd imagine uh, it'll look pretty white and, and, and pretty good, um, you know, getting ready for a pink ball test match. Yeah, just a final thought there uh, on, on the uh, what to expect, Ryan. Pink, pink ball under lights. Uh, is it going to be one for the fast bowlers again? I, to you, I don't really know. <laughs> um, Hobart, um, as Billy said, has has done a bit traditionally over the last sort of little bit in Shield Creek, the last, I guess, couple of years. So, um, you know, it's it's a test match that they weren't expecting to get. So I would have thought they would have liked it to go five days. Um, I don't think a pink test does that very often, although it did in Adelaide for the first time. Um so I think they would try and prepare a nice wicket that does last as long as it can go. But look, um, I really don't know what to expect. And it's been, it's been. I don't know if there were, there were pictures during the week uh, a couple of days ago of, of Hobart literally underwater. So let's hope um, it's it's probably the closest conditions you'll get to to English weather, put it that way, even during the middle of summer. So it, it's probably not going to have that humidity um, that that you get probably on the eastern eastern seaboard and uh, even in Adelaide, where you know where it's hot. Um, you know, you, you know, you're probably not going to get those conditions. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the wicket provides. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's a place that hasn't had a test match for a long time. They're, they're dying to have test cricket down there. And, um, you know, so we'll, we'll wait and see how that happens. But again, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what selections do uh, come out of both sides. We've got a couple of niggles as well, I think. And, and obviously the, the batting saga at five and, and at the top of the order. So um, again, like I said earlier, there's never, never a, a dead test match. You're always playing for, for something when it's a test match. And uh, once again, I'm sure we're going to see another, another great test. Aside from the twists and turns of the final day, this was a test match that had plenty of talking points and not just ones raised by the superbly dapper SCG ground staff. Uh, we've mentioned the Bearstow saga. Amila, this is sort of uh, taking on um, Norse proportions. Uh, <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be singing hymns about this. Uh, Johnny moving up the order, moving down the order, being given the gloves, having the gloves taken off him. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned when we were talking uh, beforehand about the 2013-14 series when he popped up at the end, uh, replacing Matt Fryer behind the stumps. He's not going to take the gloves in Hobart because of that that thumb injury. Uh, but Josh Butler's on the plane, plane home. There's uh, there's another candidate uh, coming into the mix in Sam Billings. Um, but what, what now for, for uh, Johnny B, do you think? Yeah, what now? I mean, who knows? I mean, I, th I thought Alex summed up his character superbly earlier on. By the way, I thought that you know nailed the 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 the, the contrasts and 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 the, and the, and and all the special treatment that I think he he merits, frankly. And you saw this actually in the white ball side more than the test side over the years. The white ball team it took an awful long time for him to force his way into that side. Owen Morgan basically, you know, I think if you recall, around the Champions Trophy in 2017, Morgan was adamant that Hales and Roy were his men for the for the top of the order. Bairstow was a very useful spare part, but no, you're not getting a regular gig. But he just kept hammering at the door, bang, 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 let me bloody into that top order. And lo and behold, he comes in and he ends up not only coming in on merit, but staying in on merit and with a merit that's, that actually lifted the entire side in a way that perhaps others wouldn't have done so, you know, because he's the tenacity and the drive that he's got to be the best he possibly can be goes over and above pretty much everyone else perhaps 
Stokes, I would argue, is the only other guy with with that that innate drive to just go the extra mile. And obviously, you haven't seen this very much in Test cricket. And I I put that entirely down to, you know, this is this is a symptom, not a cause. This is this is Bairstow harking back to that decision that England made as a as a collective in 2015. We're going to major on white ball cricket here. White ball cricket in the 2019 World Cup is our focus. And Johnny Bairstow, as a guy who in 2016 had the best year by any England batter uh, until Joe Root this year, but before 1,470 runs at 50-odd, while keeping wicket, uh, no less. Um, he goes from having that sort of year to almost falling off a cliff because, you know, he's changed his technique and he's decided, no, I'm, I'm doubling down on my white ball focus here. I'm going to, you know, open up my stumps and free up the cover covers to, to belt the new ball in the power play and getting them off to a flyer in white ball cricket. And in so doing, of course, as we all know, he ends up being bowled every other innings in Test cricket because he's exposing his stumps. Uh, and it was it was notable actually, you know, he had a very very rigid off stump guard this time, where he's right across his stumps, he's covering off covering off that mode of dismissal uh, almost as a as a as a first line of defence, and and then everything else flowed from there. But most of all, it's tenacity and 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 drive and belief. And you know, this is this is this is what what I, what it really comes down to with with England at the moment. Uh, you know. You hark back to the last time England were any good in Australia in 2010-11. They came into their test match with three warm-up games. You know, they played three incredibly high quality. Well, one one actually was a, on a dog of a deck at Melbourne, but we'll gloss over that. They were a decent opposition. Um, but, you know, they played in Hobart against Australia A. They played, I think, in Perth and played in Melbourne. They they, they basically toured around, got themselves a, a an outstanding understanding of the conditions they were going to, be, going to be facing and then came out and produced. And essentially, we've reached that stage of the series now that England have almost used the first three tests as those warm-ups. And obviously, they haven't because you know it's a live series at that stage. But you know they're they're as they're as well versed as they can be now, having had three thrashings in the first three tests to to get their heads around it. And suddenly, you're in a position whereby you know they, there's almost a chance to to fight here. But this this comes down to the problems England have got with with the scheduling. And it's not problems that are going to change quickly. I mean, Ashley Giles, director of cricket, was talking about it before the before the the last test and saying, you know, realistically, you know, sure, sack me, sack sack Silverwood, but you're not going to change the system in a hurry. I mean, it's pretty self serving words, to be frank. But I mean, he's got an underlying point: is that you know, there's nothing is going to change in the short term. Joe Root was sort of tentatively calling for a, a red ball reset after Melbourne and saying, you know, let's go go down the route we took with the white ball side in 2015. But that's just not plausible that's not feasible the test cricket takes a long time you cannot just rip open a massive great gap in the calendar to allow three warm-up games ahead of an Ashes series in the way that uh, we had in 2010-11 and if you do um you're you're you know you're you're taking the view that okay we're not going to go off and try and play in Pakistan obviously they didn't play in Pakistan but you know we're not going to send teams out there we're not going to have our white ball players going off to the IPL there's a there's rumors that there's that, that they're going to change that but it revolves a massive great ripping up of how English cricket operates at the moment and the, and the and the priorities and the and and the money frankly that that is in the white ball game uh it's not going to be it's not going to be an overnight change uh but what we saw with Bearstow in particular coming back to the original point is a guy who has got the drive has got the inner inner cussedness to say you know what these are the circumstances we're living in We've just got to rise above them. He hasn't done that very well recently. I mean, I think it's 37 innings in a row that he hadn't passed 60 until he got his got his century. So, you know, for all that his century was magnificent, 
most of his test cricket in recent times has been frustrating and inconsequential. And a lot of that comes down to the fact, you know, he might be going from playing for Welsh Fire and the 100 and then driving through the night to go and have a COVID test in Loughborough and then rocking up to play in Trent Bridge the following day in a test match. I mean, this is unsustainable. You can't, you can't expect players to just transform their techniques overnight and be good test cricketers. So for all that, I'm, you know, for all that there's no escaping the fact that England have not performed well, they've not been given the chance to perform well. And I also don't think they'll get much of a chance to perform well if everyone starts going, woohoo, test cricket, isn't it great? This is the most amazing thing. You know, you might as well pay the NHS with claps. You know, it's the same, it's the same, same principle. It's like you can't, you can't, just, can't just get excited about when, when test cricket does well and ignore the structural issues that are causing test cricket to actually be a bit rubbish for most of the time. You know, same, same principle applies. I had a few people give me blowback on Twitter the other day after I wrote a piece about how, how England's failures in test cricket is undermining the, the whole system. And they say, well, what about Bangladesh beating beating New Zealand, and and what about India losing to South Africa? It's like, you know, you know, you you you're a doomsayer. I said, well, you know, it, it's not you can't you can't deny that climate change is you know the ice caps are melting. You can't deny the ice caps are melting by saying, oh look, there's a polar bear. So yes, we know polar bears are awesome, but they need an ecosystem. They need, they need an environment to be awesome. Test cricket is awesome. There's there's you can't pretend that test cricket is not awesome. You can't pretend that Test cricket is thriving just because occasionally it produces good finishes. It's it, it's not it's not sustainable to to go down that line of thinking. It 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 it's actually, I would argue, encourages people to to gloss over the the true issues and 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 not actually get to the nub of it. Um, do polar bears play Test cricket in the woods? Not if there's no one there to see it, I suppose. Uh, no, because the woods <laughs> are all being chopped down as well. Everything's going wrong. <laughs> important important uh, philosophical uh, and existential debates um being touched on here uh, to go back to um <laughs> england being three down in the ashes of one to play um alex england have, have perhaps had their their warm ups now um a, a couple of the players are beginning to look a bit more attuned obviously uh, mentioned Bairstow. ben stokes sort of was was channeling gordon greenwich always more dangerous when he limped zach crawley showed a bit of what he can do but i mean it's a sign of of the gap between the teams that um england still haven't made 300 in the series after four tests that is quite incredible and considering as well as you mentioned there how well Bearstow, stokes and crawley played they still haven't got to 300 and you don't win in australia without making 400. We spoke about this on, on one of the earlier switches during this series. You have to score big and they just haven't done it. Um, you know, best of making the first 100 of the series and in the fourth test just isn't good enough, unfortunately. Um, and Australia have called off the bench, uh, a guy with eight test hundreds and he's piled up two in one game and gone past everybody in England's series tally apart from Joe Root in two hits, which is quite remarkable but it, it does show the gulf between the two teams and it does show up the issues that England have in terms of their bench strength and their wider red ball cricket they just don't have the cattle to go with Australia in this series and I, I just fear for them in in Hobart the ball's probably going to nip around quite a bit in the first innings that's ten, tended to be the trend in the last few years in chill games it's been green seamer early swung and seemed quite a bit in the first two innings and then got better as the game's gone on. But really, it, the, you need to hold serve, for, to use a tennis term, in the first innings to basically remain level with your opponents to give yourself a chance later in the game. If you get blown away, like Australia did against South Africa in the last test there, uh, now is it six years ago, 
um, the game can be over very, very quickly. So, yeah, there's a lot of work still to be done for England. Speaking of tennis, uh, England might be hoping they get the Novak Djokovic treatment and, and are deported before then. Um, yeah, Australia obviously went rightly Kwaja uh, Gugu after those... Uh, uh, twin hundreds at the SCG, but it's left them with um, some, well, uh, we've talked about selection headaches of the good variety, but um, Alex, Travis Head is was always due to come back uh, after his uh, his um, COVID, uh, COVID uh, spell in, in isolation. Um, there's always been talk throughout about Marcus Harris's place. He, he again, sort of made a couple of uh, uh, insubstantial scores at the top of the order. Um, what way do you think they're going to go? Can they leave out Uzzy after that? <clears throat> they can't leave him out. Uh, I think. Uh, I think after even after his first inning century, there was still the possibility that he was going to be left out, and he himself said he was prepared to be left out. But once he doubled down, there's really nowhere for the Australian selectors to go. Tony Dodder made one of the selectors spoke today. It's a really tough decision. There's a few factors at play. Usman Khawaja actually spoke really eloquently about this on his first press conference after on the second night after he made his first 100. He, he did uh, really stress the point that there is a big difference between batting at five in Test cricket and opening the batting. Now, Khawaja has an excellent record opening the batting in Test cricket. He averages 96. He's got two Test 100s. But three of his four first-class 100s opening the batting have been on the subcontinent. That's very different opening... Um, conditions than opening in Australia. Now, his other one is a 145 in a pink ball test against South Africa in Adelaide. So he can do it. He averages 39 at the top of the order in first-class cricket, which isn't too bad. Uh, but he hasn't opened in first-class cricket uh, since early 2020. His last 25 innings or so have been actually at number four and five. He hasn't even batted at three where he's done most of his work in his career. So it's a... Yeah, that, that's what they're tossing up, whether they want to stay with a specialist opener. They've invested a lot in Harris. They'd be incredibly frustrated that he can't quite get over his starts. And this is a problem that he's dealt with all of his first-class careers. He's good at getting started. He can't really kick on. He played really well in Melbourne, but it's frustrating to see him make four scores of 20-plus in a row in this series and, and only have one half-century to show for it. Uh, it's a little bit like the, the issues that Joe Root's dealt with, except he's been a little bit more consistent in getting to 50, but hasn't been able to kick on. So, yeah, I think most likely Kawaja will go to the top of the order. Head will come back in. Kawaja's a miles better player than Head um, at, at test level, but they're investing long-term in Head. Um, Kawaja made 100, an unbeaten 100 last time he played in Hobart, actually in a chase. They chased 310 earlier this year, uh, Queensland against Tasmania, and, and Head really struggled on that wicket, actually, in a game... Uh, just before the series started. But yeah, that, that's probably the, the way they're going to go. And then I reckon Kawaja will probably bat at the top uh, in Asia. Uh, that would make sense given his record there. But yeah, it's a tough one for the Australian selectors. Um, Miller, England selection questions uh, were never far away from a, a new batch. But uh, I mean, it, we heard from Ian Bell earlier. He said he thought this was England's best 11, uh, the side put out at, at the SCG, um, in terms of the, the bounce of the attack. You've got the spinner in there, um, Crawley at the top. Uh, <clears throat> one, one player we haven't talked much about is, is Stuart Broad, who um, took a fiver in the first innings, the first uh, England bowler of the, uh, the series to do so, the oldest fast bowler to do so. Um, in Australia since Richard Hadley. I think if we're sort of ignoring the likes of, of, of Sydney Barnes and Freddie Brown with their, with their uh, 
cutters and, and, and medium pace stylings. Um, Broad as ever likes to make a point. Um, have, have England kind of, uh, I mean, they've got it wrong on plenty of occasions selection wise, but um, do, do you think they'll be sticking with uh, the, the two old dogs for this, um, uh, for the final hurrah in Hobart? Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I, th- I thought Broad's uh, press conference was the single most sensible 15 minutes I've seen or, or witnessed, you know, on or off the field by England's cricketers all winter. He spoke spoke in truth bombs from top to top to bottom. Uh, and I thought it was eloquent. It was outstanding. You know, he, he's everyone knows he's got a, a seat waiting for him in Sky Sports when he retires. And no wonder he's going to make an outstanding pundit. Um, but yeah, in the short term, you know, ordinarily you'd say losing the Ashes is the right moment to pension off two old dogs in Anderson and Broad. Um, you know, that's kind of how it, how it rolls in 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 history. You know, it, Ashes is generally an end point for English cricket, be it the end of the captaincy, end of the coach, end of a few careers, as uh, Nathan Lyon famously put it. Um, but I I actually think it's almost going the other way now. Um, the the clarity and the confidence with which broad expressed some his test cricket truth bombs almost leads me to think that you know what it's time to time to to stop faffing around with these two just just play them until they break it's reached that point you know we've, we've spent so many uh, so much of covid sort of weighing up can we you know balance the, the the attack and the longevity of these two legends and you know make sure that we 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 keep them going for as long as possible I'd almost argue, what the hell? Just just play them both. They clearly have proven, along with Mark Wood, that they are the best attack that England have got, certainly the seam attack. Um, and they are not getting any younger. And this is the daft thing about the situation. It's like Broad is four years younger than Anderson. Therefore, the longer Anderson goes on, the more Broad has got the incentive to keep going. But at some point, we're going to reach a point where even they, even both of them are too old to function. And there's no point in just waiting for them to sit on the bench and warm the bench and, you know, perhaps get bored by being on the bench. You know, they, they are, for all that they're, they're getting on, these two guys are pretty well treated by England cricket in that, they, you know, they play, they play test cricket and nothing else. They'll rock up for the counties when they need a trot. Uh, but broadly speaking, they're, they're, just, they're just being kept, kept oven ready, you know, roll them out. Nice, 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 uh, nice you know run a test here you go and then go back onto the back burner and you know go do your do your conditioning or whatever else you need to do while the white ball's on they're 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 looked after pretty well which is why their longevity is is as it is so therefore why not just play them play them play them play them and in playing them you are got two guys who are providing absolute text test excellence on a daily basis because let's face it it's the one thing that England are lacking at the moment is is excellence in their test cricket. Um, I'd argue, you know, I think Ben Folkes also is probably a guy who's overdue a run, a proper run inside now, because, again, there's no arguing that he is excellent in his job as wicketkeeper. So have two excellent fast bowlers who've done it for as long as they've done it. Have an excellent um, wicketkeeper in Ben Folkes. Have an excellent captain, batsman, not captain, in Root. Find someone else a captain, I don't care who it is. But Root needs to just get back to being the best test batter that we have got. And, you know, suddenly you, you know, and get Stokes back to some sort of form as well. And suddenly there's a spine. There's a chance to, to actually build something out of. Instead of what Broad was alluding to in his, in his, in his points, is like all this jam tomorrow thinking from England selectors. It, 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 was, it was a nice idea in theory, right at the start of the pandemic. Let's, let's manage our 
our environment and ensure that uh, you know our, our guys are kept fresh and and bubble in and bubble out and all the rest of it but frankly i think it's reached that point so you know what let's just let's just go for it let's just try to use the expertise within this team to drag out performances from everyone else you know you know you you, you can't expect england lost their winning feeling essentially in 2021 and partly i think that was down to their their slightly daft decision to undermine their 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 record in home test pitches you know they you know they almost got embarrassed by winning on green seamers let's make it a dirty flat deck that that teaches us how to win in the subcontinent well that went well didn't it and you end up not winning at home either uh you know make a make a make a, a spectacle of the fact that england are actually quite good on home soil improve pitches at county level rather than undermine pitches at test level and you end up with a with a better way to 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 feed players into this team that clearly needs some propping up at the moment um but yeah to go back to your original point broad and anderson you know ordinarily you'd say thanks for your long service but on your bike let's bring someone else through but there's no one else you know that's mm -hmm. been shown ollie robinson was magnificent but i'm i was disappointed actually i i thought he would last i thought his his motor would suffice but he 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 looked he looked washed up after after three and a bit tests and he needed a break it's you know it it England don't and have already broken all their fast bowlers apart from the indefatigable Wood. Um, you know they need a they need to just double down on what they do well, and that's uh, the old the old boys astonishingly. Well, and, and after um, the uh, yeah interminable talk of uh, management and rotation and so on, if uh, if they stick with Anderson certainly uh, for this uh, final test, he'll have played four in a row. Uh, so <laughs> clearly, no no issues there. Um, and if it is a, a, a sort of a, a green seamer as has been um, flagged uh, at Hobart, then you think Gordon Anderson would be a couple of good candidates. Alex, Australia have a glut of options here uh, with the seam bowling, um, a few injuries notwithstanding. Mitchell Stark obviously has a fantastic record with a pink ball, but arguably has tailed off a little bit uh, over the course of the series. Um, wasn't wasn't quite up to his um, previously high standards on the final day at Sydney. Scott Boland is averaging 8.64 and could still get dropped, I suppose. Uh, Jai Richardson, I think, is fit and, and back in the mix. What, what do you think um, Australia will be, will be doing um, down at Bell Reef? I think it'll all be fitness dependent. Um, obviously, Stark was clearly battling an ankle issue. He had problems with the footmarks there in Sydney. Sydney is his worst ground in Australia by a mile, so it wasn't really surprising that he didn't bowl very well there. Just doesn't suit him. There's no swing and uh, not a lot of excess bounce with his pace, although there was a lot of variable, but he just doesn't get that that vicious lift that he got in Melbourne or even at the Gabba where he can really hurry guys up. Um, and it didn't reverse much for him either. So it's just not a ground that suits him. Um, if his ankle doesn't come up, that makes it pretty simple. Um, but Boland's got a rib cartilage issue. His ribs were cleared of any damage from that heavy fall he suffered on the third day, but uh, apparently he played with injections um, and, and bowled magnificently. Again, he's, he was Australia's most dangerous bowler, I think, on the final day, with the exception maybe of that one over burst or a couple of, couple of overs from Cummins with the new ball. Uh, he was simply outstanding throughout the test match. The interesting thing about Boland in Hobart is it's his worst ground in Australia by a mile. He averages 64 with the ball there. Uh, 13 wickets at 64 from eight matches at Bell Reeve, and he averages under 20 at the SCG Gabba and Adelaide and 25 at the MCG. So 
it's a horrible record in Bell Reeve, and he's played one pink ball game there. He's taken two wickets. Uh, I think they, they cost 70 apiece nearly. So it's not a, a ground that suits him. And, you know, he's a hit the deck bowler, needs that little bit of variable. The slower wickets makes him really awkward because he hits just such a good length and just can't be driven. And um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. But he's in irresistible form. So if he's fit, he plays. Uh, if Stark's fit, he plays. And, and therefore, Richardson probably misses out. But Richardson will come in for whoever's not fit, I guess, and they'll they'll monitor that how they how they go over the next couple of days. Miller, a final word, really, I suppose. Um, England, uh, well, they they uh, they could make further changes at the top of the order. Hasib Hamid looks uh, looks ripe for 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 being rested, uh, and we've we've discussed a, a potential test debut for Sam Billings. Um, but whoever they put out, I mean. Uh, whether it's and if it's a green uh, a shootout on a green deck or uh, 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 whatever transpires, what do you think their chances are of uh, avoiding four uh, nil? A three one would obviously be the best outcome from here. And and, and does any of it really matter with uh, the Giles review looming? Oh, it matters. I mean, you know, as we, <laughs> as we saw, the euphoria around uh, around England not losing just goes to show that Test cricket still matters. It still matters that even in a dead rubber, and that's one. One enduringly glorious thing about Test cricket is that it has context outside of series, and so every single Test and obviously World Test Championship points are up for grabs uh, if if that's your bag. Although England are still negative, aren't they? So uh, <laughs> that won't help. But, but no, they might be matters. off the bottom after their uh, after their four points there. I can't remember. They're still bumping along with not much hope. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. certainly, you know, when it comes to when it comes to the openers, I mean, I've you know, I've, I've said all I need to say about Hasib Bamid. I, I I still maintain it was an, it was almost a, a dereliction of, of of duty to to pick him for this series. I think it was a it was an absolutely daft decision, and I hope it doesn't backfire in his career a long time. Um, but one one thing that absolutely astonishes me in 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 all of the the toing and froing and innings and outings that, that England have had at, at the top of their order, arguably the two best batters that England have got at the top of the order assuming you know Dom Sibley is is un, unselectable now because he can't get it off the square but you know he may come again but they've not played Rory Burns and Zach Crawley as an opening partnership at all in test cricket and that makes no sense I, I still cannot fathom why you would drop Rory Burns at that point of the series and bring um, you know if you're dropping either opener you're dropping Rory Burns a guy who basically is being punished for for the for the embarrassment of getting out to the first ball of the series he batted, I thought, pretty well for that 34. He showed fight. He showed tenacity. He showed the sort of almost Bairstow-like refusal to bow to circumstance in in scraping along to what I, th- I think until Crawley got his 77 was England's best opening opening score of the of of the tour. And they've been him. 34. I mean, magnificent. <laughs> absolutely magnificent 34. I mean, you know, look, 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 look joking aside, it, it was not so long ago. It was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, in fact, that Usman Khawaja's 37 on debut at Sydney was half, was being heralded as the greatest 37 ever witnessed. So, you know, <laughs> it's not so long that Australia have been scraping around for, for, for such positives as England at the moment. Um, so, you know, I thought it was a better innings than, than he got given, given any credit for. And they've been the wrong opener, frankly. And Hasi Bermid has been hung out to dry and, and deserves a long break. Uh, uh, and I hope he finds a way to, to fight back. Uh, I, you know, having fought back once in his career... I, I, he's certainly got the, the tenacity, but I mean, I feel very, very sorry for him. But you know, Burns and Crawley, the way that Crawley batted, 
you know, again, it's we, we all remember that 267. I, I also remember the remarkable 50 on the first morning at Ahmedabad, you know, the two day test. And for, for the first hour of it, Crawley batted as if it, as if it was a, a flat, flat deck at, at, at Canterbury. It was it was an absolutely magnificent innings. And that's what he can do when he gets on a roll. It's not overstating it to say that there were shades of Michael Vaughan in that 77, the, the way in which he committed to the front foot, committed to the back foot. You know, gave gave Australia no safe length the bowl because he he could he had the had the drive and the pull to to see him off. Um, fantastic. He's England clearly have seen something in him. I remember Ian Bell talking about it right before the series started, saying that you know his his height and his his high hands and his ability to to dominate were probably England's best option as an opener. And of course, he didn't play in the, in the, in the start of the series. So. I don't know. England, England have faffed around an awful lot with their opening partnership. Um, it's not so long ago that Sibley and Crawley uh, were among those young guns being being bigged up in South Africa two winters ago when when England were looked as though they might be turning a corner. Um, but again, as I said earlier, with that, with, with my rants about Anderson Broad, I think it, the importance right now for England is to pick the players they think are the very, very best in any given position and stick with them. And they've tried to do that. Obviously, they they clearly thought that Hesse Bermead was the best opener they had and stuck with him, even though, you know, I, I don't think you need to be a need to be a soothsayer to, to, to predict how that how that was going to pan out. But, you know, it, they've they've really got no option now just, other than just to double down on the players who could be good in the long run and 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 give them a go. It's kind of how they how they've tried to function in the last two years. But as I say, the rest of rotation policy and the COVID and all the other things that have that have interrupted their 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 good habits have left them scrambling around in this daft situation now where, where Sam Billings, I mean, good luck to him, but Sam Billings making a test debut after driving 500 miles and nine hours down the coast uh, and missing his flight by 90 minutes to go out to play in a white ball series in the Caribbean. I mean, that's that really does, if that doesn't sum up where English, England's test, test priorities are at the moment, I don't know what does. No, that tells you plenty. Uh, England are... Emphatically, bottom of the World Test Championship, uh, both in absolute terms and on percentage points. Australia <laughs> a second, Sri Lanka a top, uh, and the table never lies, as we know. Um, I think that's that's time then to, to call it a day before we're forced to go to the part-time leggies. There's one last tussle in Tassie before the Ashes Roadshow shuts up shop for 18 months. Don't worry, other forms of cricket are available. We'll be back to wrap up the series and look ahead to England's T20 tour of the West Indies. Until then, my thanks to you, Miller and Alex, and to you all for tuning in. Please feel free to rate us and leave a comment on your favourite pod provider and keep up to date with all the news on ESPNCrickInfo.com. <laughs>